0: Good morning, glad to see you all Happy Lord's Day Um, (coughs) um, Thank you for those of you guys that have been praying for uh, my mother-in-law and for Unmi Uh, Mom has, uh, she's currently awake and speaking, able to move We'll get to see, you know, consequences, see what's happened But uh, a lot of good news And uh, Unme just called me this morning, so she's finally in uh, her her sister's house in Korea. So that's a good thing. Um, Today we're going to be looking at uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21 and 22. Or are we? I don't know. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, here's a word. If you look just briefly at the second page... Of your handout, <clears throat> um, I guess it would be the third and fourth page. That's that's the text of uh, the confession, chapters twenty-one and twenty-two, um, in pretty big font. Actually, it's it's it, I I'm being merciful as much as I can, um, and, and cheap as much as I can with not wanting to make too many pages. But um, that that's the that's the text of the uh, the confession. When we look at, uh, for example, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, they publish uh, the Confession, and there are 16 pages of uh, font, which are font that I wouldn't publish for you, because if I can't see it, some of you probably can't see it either. 16 pages of scripture references unpacking this, and so this is a good time to talk for a second about the nature of Confessions, okay? Confession is not the Bible. It is It is not a replacement for the Bible. It is summarizing what do we believe with clear conscience the Scripture teaches. And you know the issue is many esteemed divines, hardcore theologians, met for several years, uh, assembling what does the Bible teach on these sort of systematic categories. And they're really summarizing things for you. And so uh, I really struggled because this is one of my favorite topics, the idea of Sabbath, the idea of worship, um, because as pastor reminds us so often, you know, he reminds us, we're going to do the most important thing that you're going to do all week, okay? I'd like to play a little one-upmanship. We're doing the thing that we're going to do for our whole lives, right? I mean, that is the greatest goal of humanity, that we're going to worship and serve the Creator God who made us and redeemed us. So this is, this is the warp and woof of Scripture. This is a, a huge topic. Um, so I was excited to teach this, but as I tried to boil this down to one unit, one lesson, uh going to come up short. Okay? Um <clears throat> going to come up short. So uh, let, let's, let's open in prayer. Father, we give thanks uh, for this opportunity to consider a day, to consider a moment, but to consider our, our lives as people that have been created and redeemed, people who are called to account, how we give thanks that you have made us suitable creatures that we might worship, that we might enjoy rest, that we might seek after you because you've sought after us. So be with us in this time. Bless this conversation. Bless the direction it takes that we might know how to love and serve you, our triune God. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, the first page was the first iteration of the study. And that was as I read through the confession, I just started jotting down topics. And so that's a wordle, right? There's a wordle just of Westminster Confession of Faith number 21. Number 21, of course, is dealing with religious worship and the Sabbath day, and uh, I'm certain there's more, um, but as I was reading through it, I was like, if I was going to teach this well, um, these are the themes, concepts, vocabulary terms that would require a fair deal of uh, fluency before we jumped into that, okay? Okay. Um, I'm here to tell you that we're probably not going to address any of those in terrible detail. Um, But I I think that it's really essential that um, as as you grow as a believer, you know, it's like climbing a staircase, right? There's steps that you take. And once you understand a doctrine of common grace, then you'll have an idea of how the Christian should act in culture. Once you have an idea of, you know, the divine covenants, etc., it helps you a lot, and so uh, now isn't going to be the time to unpack all of those, but I just wanted to throw those out there. There's a lot going on here, um, and that's for a people that choose to oftentimes be non-productive on one day a week, okay? For all of our non-productiveness, this tells me that there's a there's a lot going on towards our non-productiveness on that day. So... <clears throat> um, Let's go ahead and think about this. When we think about Sabbath, uh, Sabbath, public worship, when we think about Sunday, what kind of things come to mind? <laughs> OK. OK. Fellowship with believers? Corporate worship? Corporate worship. You guys are giving me all the church dancers, all right. Anybody want to say Jesus while you're at it? Um <clears throat> oh, the object of the worship. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. As I teach the little kids, they've learned to just say Jesus to everything. They're usually right. Um, and and I, I think that's a good thing. Um, let's see. Uh, how about in common culture? What, what do people think and see of us when they think of Sunday church going, Sabbath days, those kinds of things? Worship. Okay. They, they think that there's believers that do that. Religious people. Ooh, there's a good one, right? We'll get into that term later, perhaps. Why wouldn't you? Why why are you doing that instead of sports? Yeah, why not sports? Right? If you want rest, relaxation, how about some sort of recreation? Uh, Why are you forfeiting one seventh of your earning potential? You know, really important things could be going on that day. Um, <clears throat> well, oftentimes, and okay, you know, this is the sanctified stuff, good for you, really. Um, but wh- when we talk about Sunday, when we talk about worship, when we talk about church, are there other questions that we ask? Like maybe after church, should I go get a meal? Can I work today? Can I do this, that, that, right? There's always the, what can I do, right? What can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And I think lots of our focus on uh, Sabbath discussion, Lord's Day worship, those kinds of questions come, come down to restrictions or feelings like what, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, right? And those are often uh, discussions that we have. Um, but I, I want to get us started out, I believe, on the right foot. Um, and, and Scott uh, you know, interacted with that when we were dealing with the law of God last week. And, and that is, when we look at the law of God, we need to understand the big picture, right? Uh, the law of God is sort of a reiteration of the covenant of works. God gives Adam uh, you know, a law originally as, as a covenant of works. And I'd suggest to you today that <clears throat> if, if we uh, remove Sabbath, if we remove worship from the context, the rich theological context that undergirds Sabbath, um, we're just going to be in this world. Wonder, what, what can we do with this day? Do I really, you know, I, th- those kinds of questions. And I would suggest being stuck in that gear is uh, not helpful and perhaps misguided. So too often we get negative views of Sabbath, worship, or church attendance because we're too concerned about what we can or can't do with our time. Can I go eat? Can I enjoy sports? Can I work? Must I go to church every Lord's Day? Now, these are all legitimate questions, but they're set into perspective when we consider these questions, questions like this, can I, though wicked? come before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can I appear before the Holy One of Israel? Will the God who struck Ananias and Sapphira down hear my cry? Once we know that we have a gracious God who loves us and gave himself for us, it has a strange way of putting things in perspective, and it changes the questions we ask. Now, <clears throat> as Presbyterians are often wont to do, we find this justification and we find this explanation for why Sabbath is a blessing and not a burden in the idea of covenant. Okay. I was once in a seminary class where it was a a debate scenario and there was a, a gal in the class. Her debate answer was, well, I can explain that with covenant. We explain everything else with it. And, uh, I thought that was kind of funny for someone who wasn't quite on board yet, but, uh, You know, that's sort of stereotypical of us, isn't it? So before we engage in a sort of an ad hoc examination of the confession today, I'd like to remind you of what B.B. Warfield called the architectonic principle of the confession. And that architectonic principle, the big superstructure upon which the confession is built, is the idea of covenant, specifically federal theology, that we have two federal heads, both Adam and Christ. And as we're united to, everybody's united to one of them, and we are united to the other of them, um, that'll unpack for us what's going on here. And I firmly believe, maybe I'm naive, but I firmly believe that once we get that God is for us and not against us, and that's demonstrated for us through divine covenant, that these questions we have about what we can and can't do on Sundays will largely disappear, will focus on what we can do, namely, what we can do is come before the triune God of the scriptures. We can come before that God that the psalmist groveled before and confessed, I'm a worm and not a man. We can come before that God whom Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Once you get that, your questions change. So I'm going to just, several years ago, uh, uh, we did a series on Sabbath. and uh, I'm, I'm going to use the summary of that Sabbath series. It's on the second page of your handout. Um, <coughs> I'm going to use the summary of that Sabbath series as our springboard from which we shall jump. Um, and I, I believe when we get to chapter 21 in the Confession, this is the, back, this is the, the warp and woof of... I don't even know what that means. What's warp and woof mean? The substance. Okay, that's what I meant. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating that, you know, contextually you can know terms, but I've never bothered to look up warp and woof. As far as I know, it's the same as, you know, Dobb and Waddle. I mean, it's, but anyhow, warp and woof, the substance. The substance of what's going on in the confession is this federal theology that Warfield speaks of. It's the covenant theology, primarily the idea that there's, Two covenants. Now, we could talk about three covenants, but you could even boil it down to two, and we're not going to get into all that today. But there's a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. Okay? So here's where we went in the summary of the Sabbath series. I I don't think the audio is online anymore, but here we go. Um, First thing I did is we went through and looked at biblical and historical overview of the Sabbath, and my conclusion for summary at the end of that class was the historical. practice of Sabbath through various religious groups is that it's messy, and even in the church, there's no golden age yet, and Jesus, nonetheless, is pleased to walk amongst the golden candlesticks. That is, he's pleased to coexist with his church. That big promise of God being our God and we being his people is true even in the midst of the mess. Then we hit our first thesis on Sabbath. And I argued in that one that the Sabbath at his root is God's rest, heaven. Okay? God enters into his rest on the seventh day, and he's resting from his labors. And I argue that that's a heavenly rest, and that God invites us to that heavenly rest. So, as it says here, man's chief end, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, has its end in God's rest, the eternal Sabbath. Second thesis on Sabbath... Sabbath-est was to be earned by Adam through the completion of the stipulations of the covenant of works. We don't have time to get into that today, but you know, piggybacking on where Scott was. Um, but there's a monkey wrench in there. Adam does not keep the covenant of works and neither do we because he's our father and there's a vital union between him and us. Third thesis on Sabbath. <coughs> the Sabbath rest is earned by a completion of the stipulations of the covenant of works by Jesus Christ, a second Adam, the second man, and he grants us himself, and he grants us God's eternal Sabbath rest through the covenant of grace, all that Adam was required to do in the covenant of works, Adam picks up, does successfully, you see this in Luke 4, you see it in Matthew 4, you see it in Mark chapter 1, the idea that Jesus has come as that final day warrior, and he kicks Satan in the head, or crushes his head, okay? Uh, Jesus earns what Adam failed to earn and Jesus imputes the gift of his obedience to us and takes our very sin. Uh, then, uh, I guess I preached a sermon then, uh, and I think I preached this in church not too long ago or exhorted through it. Um, fourth thesis on Sabbath. And this is the issue of, uh, you know, why do we worship on Sunday, you know, uh, when I was an employee at Carl's Jr., I remember a Muslim boss of mine, we had a fascinating discussion, and he was like, Why do you worship on Sunday? The very word Sabbath means Saturday in his language. And uh, a yeah, good question. Well, the Bible has a clear answer for that, right? There's a progression, right? And uh, so I'm just going to read what it says here Jesus changes the work rest pattern of the covenant of works to the rest work pattern of the covenant of grace, right? So instead of Six days you will labor as in creation and then enter your rest. God lets us rest on the first day of the week and then sends us out and says, as God's beloved children who've been given a new nature, who have a relationship with God, who love your fellow man, go out and love God and your neighbor. Do that in ways that are visible okay, and audible. (coughs) Therefore, we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so I... This isn't a simple matter of transfer theology Saturday to Sunday, but deals with the nature of the gospel acting and working in us. I must have had something I wanted to say there. Okay, fifth thesis. Corporate worship on Sunday is a foretaste of the eternal Sabbath rest of God, which is required for Christian growth and maturity. Okay, So that's sort of uh, where, where I'm coming from, and I, and I believe that if Warfield's right, that the backbone of the confession is the federal theology of the reformers. Um, I think we're on solid ground here. Okay? And you know this isn't just me. I mean, granted, uh, you know, theologians have uh, experiences and teachers and stuff, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm certainly idiosyncratic in that regard. But um, Heidelberg Catechism 103, this is the next thing on your page. I just want to throw this out there. Um, and this is supposedly from the you know, continental perspective on Sabbath, this is what they have to say about Sabbath. Probably Ursinus wrote this, I'm guessing. What does God require in the fourth commandment? In the first place, God wills that the ministry of the gospel and schools be maintained, and that I especially on the day of rest diligently attend church to learn the word of God, to use the holy sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian alms. In the second place, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, allow the Lord to work in me by His Spirit, and thus begin in this life the everlasting Sabbath." So there's that picture for us, that you know, Sabbath observance is participating in heaven in some way. Okay? Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2 that we're currently seated in the heavenlies with Christ. All right. So, straight out of the gate, uh, if we can appreciate the magnitude of what Sabbath is, that it's us participating in our future and eternal nature, it's us participating in worshiping the God who made us and redeemed us and calls us to be like Him, um, if we can appreciate that, we can appreciate what goes on in public worship. And earlier I opened up with some questions about what can I and can't I do on the Sabbath. Um, here's some better diagnostic, diagnostic questions for us to ponder. <coughs> and, and these are the questions. Um, is there something about Christ and heaven that I'm dissatisfied with? Am I somehow not satisfied with being absolutely righteous in the sight of a holy God? Is it some burden for me to come here about the great works of my Redeemer? So see uh, Lee Irons, uh, Lee Irons is a, an elder in, in California at a, at a PCA church in Burbank. Um, he wrote an aptly titled essay called The Sabbath as an Eschatological Sign of the Covenant. That is, the Sabbath as a sign of heaven to come and that it is something that's part of the covenant, whatever that means. Um, This is what Lee says. And these are just some diagnostic questions. Uh, Does, when considering any activity, whether it uh, will hinder or promote the purpose of the day? First, does it hinder or promote my participation in corporate worship of God's people? That's a real deal, hey. Uh, If, you know... Me doing body work uh, is going to negate my ability to join together with saints and angels without number on the Lord's Day. Maybe I should ask that one. Does it promote or hinder? uh, Does it hinder or promote a spiritually restful frame of mind, in which I'm reminded that I am a pilgrim on the way to the eschatological Sabbath rest? These are useful questions. Now. For some of you who might not be sold on the idea of Sabbath as a Christian practice. Um, Some of you might be thinking, well, that's an old covenant thing. The new covenants come. Am I bound to that? Uh, Some of you might seem to think that this is a restricting thing or a means of sneaking the law in through the back door as a taskmaster. going to make you do something. Um, I would submit to you, think about it this way. Um, If you've ever been in love with the Beloved that you were pursuing a young man or a young woman and you were just enamored with them and you want to be with them, um, I would submit to you it's, it's more like that. It's the idea that those who have seen the Beloved want to experience more of the Beloved. So your attention, your time, and your energy is spent in pursuit, and that pursuit is the biggest burden ever. No, it's not. Even in our, uh, you know, comparatively pathetic expositions of human love towards the beloved, whoever that might be, it's not a burden. It's a joy, right? We want to be with them. So it's an awe for us. uh, You know, our our pursuit of Sabbath observance in whichever flavor that is uh, shown it's an awe-inspired pursuit, because we are being pursued by a God who loves us. <clears throat> so keep that in mind when we study Sabbath today. The great love story of the Bible is the backdrop of Sabbath and worship. And that, that great love story is told to us through covenant. Okay? If we had to think of the genre for love story, and love stories are amazing. There's many genres. We have poetry. You know, we have historical narrative, it's all in the Bible, but the, it, I know it's not a literary form, but, well, actually it is in certain contexts. Uh, the the format in which we get this love story in Scripture is the covenant. And so we're going to look at the Confession of Faith, chapter 21. Any hey, questions before we move on? Yes, sir. a difference on the sabbath and the lord's day and is there any um thing about constantine forcing the change at all? yeah so my, my argument is exegetical so you're right in the early church there's uh, the jewish church the synagogues are worshiping on sabbath still and then we see a lot of on the first day on the first day the disciples are getting together and worshiping you see john saying on the lord's day um so what we do see is there's a is a transition period where the people of God, which were often Jewish, um, are making a transition to the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week. And, you know, you know, you're right, you'll be hard pressed to find like the, you know, uh that Saturday worship, knock that off. We're worshiping on the first day of the week. But um, you know, I think there's good testimony in, in Christian tradition as well, pre preceding Constantine. But yeah. No, the eighth day uh entering into the rest. That's where I was that's where I include more in the day. <coughs> creation. The rest. Yeah, sort of a, a new creation, creation rest. rest. Yeah. yeah. I'm not prepared to talk about that today. Okay. <laughs> all right, thank you. All right. Okay, let's look at uh the confession. Um And basically, stop me if there's something you want to talk about here. Um, And so I, as preparing, I thought, there's no way we're going to cover all this. So do I even want to try? Um, We're going to try. But uh, here we go. Chapter 21, first section. The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is good, doth good unto all, and is to be, therefore, feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, all the soul, and all the might. Okay, So <coughs> there's a lot going on just up to this point, right? Um, we've got the idea of common grace. We've got the idea that we're creatures made in the image of God, and although fallen, uh, you know, we still reflect his image in beautiful and significant ways. We also display the fact that we have an Adamic nature and we're wicked sinners and do bad things. But, you know, it's telling us that, hey, there's this common grace principle. God sends the rain on the the likes of the just and the unjust alike. And uh, out of the very fact that he's our creator and our God, we should fear him, love him, praise him, call upon him. But is that enough for us to actually fear him, love him, call upon him, and praise him? No. Our sin is such that uh, we don't love God or our neighbor. As a matter of fact, we're very selfish oftentimes. So that's an interesting thing, just in terms of the call through common grace and our created nature in the image of God. We should love and praise God, but we don't. And the Catechism doesn't bring that up here, but that's, that's, that's an issue, right? There's a big monkey wrench in the whole glorifying and enjoying God business right there. But then it moves on. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the holy scripture okay so you know that there's a lot that's contained there right how do we worship god who becomes a god worshipper is this something you could be down on the corner of 5th and main and just worshiper. Yes, sir.